0: We've been talking about various mitzvot and now we go back to employee wages and Hashem says that if you don't pay your wages on time to someone poor, it's not only one prohibition it's a double prohibition you have to make sure to take care of your employees and pay them on time both the salary and the fee you owe them for renting animals or equipment or whatever you have to use from them and this is not only for Jewish people For anyone, you have have to pay them. Give them the wage on a promised day. Even if he's not poor, if he is a night worker whose due payment is at sunrise, you must not let the sun set before paying his wage. Doubly so if they're poor, since because they depend on this wage, as evidenced by the fact that they risk their life to earn it if necessary. Pay them on time so he does not cry out to Hashem against you. The demerit of the sin will be counted against you in any case. But if the employee cries out Hashem, unfortunately the punishment comes quicker. Next, legal justice. Fathers must not be put to death by the court by virtue of their son's testimony, nor must sons be put to death by virtue of their father's testimony. And in fact, all first degree relatives of the defendant are automatically disqualified as legal witnesses. It just doesn't make any sense. I mean, how could a father testify against their kid? And if they do, you've to—you got to you, you gotta wonder what exactly is going on. An adult may be put to death only for their own transgression and not for anyone else's. Consideration of the disadvantage. As you've been taught, you must not pervert justice. With regard to certain categories of litigants, perverting justice is subject to an additional prohibition. You must not pervert the judgment of a convert or orphan. For these people are a distinct psychological disadvantage, making it easier for you to overlook their plight. So make sure you look at all the evidence, even if they don't present it confidently. Similarly, although you've been taught in general and you're to be permitted to take collateral against payment for a loan that's come due, there's an exception, not a widow's garment as collateral. If in obeying these rules you ex- incur some expenses or loss, it's immaterial. You must remember you were a slave in Egypt and Hashem redeemed you from there on the condition that one day you obey him, even if doing so comes at times as disadvantageous. I therefore command you to do this thing, even though it might sometimes cause you financial loss. Now we've spoken about before, when harvesting your crops, you must intentionally leave certain parts for the disadvantage. In addition, when you reap your harvest in the field and forget to gather some grain that's left behind you, such as a sheaf, or even if you forget to reap some of the grain standing in the field in back of you, obviously not if it's a major amount, you must not go back to take it. Shikha, you forgot it. It must be left there for the convert, the orphan, the widow, so that Hashem will bless you in all that you do. In contrast, this rule does not apply to grain that's still in front of you as you proceed to harvest your field, obviously. Now, if Hashem blesses you for your unintentional beneficence, as we just said, you forgot it anyway, how much more so he will bless you for your intentional generosity. Just as when you reap your grain, you must leave the grain in the corner of the field, peah, and the forgotten train, grain for the disadvantaged, so you must do when harvesting your olive grove. When you beat your olive tree in order to harvest its olives, you must not totally remove its glory by picking all its fruit. You must not go back to pick up what you have forgotten on the ground behind you. It must be left for those less fortunate. As you've been taught, same thing with grapes. When you pick the grapes of your vineyard, you must not glean the young grapes growing on the part of the vine not sufficiently developed to have its grapes hanging from either a true stem or ancillary, ancillary shoots, and you must not go back to pick up what you have forgotten behind you. It must be left for those disadvantaged. Here, too, if because all these rules you incur monetary loss, remember, Hashem took you out of Egypt even if you have to go through difficulties. That was the intention. Resolving disputes. If a friendly argument arises between people and taken to court, the court can either propose a compromise between them or a judgment. In either case, since there is no animosity between the parties, the dispute will end peacefully. If, however, there's a hostile quarrel between people, such that they are not interested in compromise, they should approach the court for a definitive judgment. In such a case, the judges must judge them even though they know that rendering judgment will only solve the particular lawsuit and not end the quarrel, and even though it's likely that both parties are guilty of exaggerating their claims, and in this respect, neither is wholly innocent or guilty. They must nonetheless judge the specific lawsuit they have been approached to judge, and acquit the innocent party and condemn the guilty. Lashes. As you've been taught, the standard corrective punishment for transgressing, a positive commandment, is lashes in certain circumstances. This is how the court is to administer. If, as a result of the court case, the guilty party has incurred the penalty of lashes, the person must bend over and the sheriff must flog him, administering one-third of the number of lashes on the chest and two-thirds on the back as befits the crime. While lashes are being administered, they must say certain, the judge must say certain verses. The maximum number of lashes the sheriff must administer is one less than 40, 40, 39, or however it's determined he can bear, whichever is less. The sheriff must not exceed these prescribed 39 lashes, less, um he give him too severe a flogging, and there, w- there will be a punishment for that. Furthermore, if the sheriff administers extra lashes, your brother will be belittled in your eyes, and once he has received his due punishment, you must no longer relate to him as a criminal, but once again as your brother, giving all the respect due to a human being. Work animals. You must not muzzle an animal when it's threshing grain in order to prevent it from eating the grain, or in f- fact prevent any animal working with fruit from eating some of the food that it works. The Leverite marriage, the laws of Yibum. We've been taught about this in the book of Vayikra. You must not marry... Your brother-in-law or sister-in-law, there are there is, however, an exception to this law if paternal or full brothers reside together, meaning that they are both alive at the same time, and then one of them dies having no son, daughter, or grandchild, neither from his wife nor from any other Jewish woman. The dead man's wife will not there will not thereby be automatically free to marry an outsider. Rather, ideally, her husband's brother must be with her and take her as a wife and marrying her in a levirate marriage. That's the laws of Yubim, one of the most complicated tractates of the Talmud. Now, the t- primary duty to marry the dead man's wife devolves upon the eldest brother. If he prefers not to marry, then one of the other brothers must be approached. The obligation for one of the brothers to marry the widowed sister-in-law applies only if she can bear children, and if her deceased husband was capable of having children. The brother who marries her will succeed to his brother's estate in his deceased brother's name. By managing his brother's estate, his brother's name will not be obliterated from Israel. For that state will always be remembered as belonging to the brother. Since the object of the law is that the surviving brother perpetuate the estate of the deceased brother, it applies as stated above only to paternal or full brothers since only such brothers jointly inherit their father's estate, not if they're only related maternally. If for some legitimate reason the man does not wish to take his late brother's wife as his own wife, and neither do any of the other brothers, the late brother's wife must go to the gate of the court and to the elders of the judges and say to them, My husband's brother has refused to perpetuate his brother's name. He does not want to marry me. The elders of the city must summon him and speak to him, and he must stand up and say, I do not want to take her as a wife. His brother's wife must then approach in the view of the elders and remove his shoe from his foot. She spits on the ground in front of him and responds to his refusal to marry by saying, Kacha, this is what will be done to the man that does not build his brother's home. The name of the brother performing the ceremony of release must then be called one time in the community of Israel as represented by all those present that this is the house of he who had his shoe removed and they must all say in Hebrew, this is who he had his shoe removed. Now you might think this is ancient stuff. It actually happened this week. Um, if you remember, there was a tragedy in Mirun a few months back, and 43 people died. Some of them were you know, young, young men, and one of them died without children, and he had a brother. And in today's day and age, you cannot do Yibam. We don't do, for the last many hundreds, if not thousands of years, we don't actually allow for the first approach to happen of marriage he doesn't marry her the brother but he has to do chalitza. he has to do the second process of the whole spitting in the thing and Bethden rarely does it it really doesn't happen often but it did happen and this week it happened um, the woman wanted to keep a confidence so she didn't you know the name's not public but i know of somebody also a friend of my of my sister who very soon after her marriage her brother her husband died and she also had to go through it and until then, she's not allowed to marry. And if the brother decides he doesn't want to do the chalitza, it's a very big problem. <laughs> Compensation for embarrassment. As you've been taught, when one person afflicts some bodily injury or an- on another person, the perpetrator must compensate the victim for damages, pain, medical expenses, and or loss of in- being incapitated. In addition, the perpetrator must comp- compensate the victim for any embarrassment suffered from the injury. For example, if two men, a man and his brother Israelite are quarreling, and instead of trying to resolve as they should be, they allow their ill feelings to testify, and it becomes to physical blows. And the wife of the attacked one approaches to rescue her husband, and she stretches out her hand and grabs hold of his private parts, my gosh, in order to stop him from assailing her husband. Then the court must figuratively cut off her hand, Not you never do that literally, make her pay the sum of money that a person of his social status should accept as compensation for being embarrassed by someone of her social status. And do not take pity on her, she crossed a line that should not have been crossed. As you have been taught, we move on to honesty in business. You must not do business with false weights and measures. Moreover, you're not even allowed to own them. You must not keep two different weights in your pocket that you, perpet- that you use for the same measurement. In other words, you have a genuine one and a fraud one, a heavy one or a light one. You must not keep two different measures in your house, a large one for buying and a small one for selling, <clears throat> rather only 100% accurate measures. So that Hashem will allow you to live long on the life on the land Hashem's giving you. If not, your enemies will attack you. Refrain from possessing false weights and measures as well, in order that Hashem may arrange for you to prosper. For whoever adds does such wicked things, whoever perpetrates such injustice, it's an abomination for Hashem. And finally, Amalek, Pashat Zakhar. You have been taught that Hashem will obliterate any remembrance of the nation of Amalek you too must do your part. Therefore, remember what Amalek did to you when you were traveling through the desert after you left Egypt, and remember to take the steps necessary to obliterate any trace of them. Specifically, remember how on the way Amalek attacked by surprise those amongst you who have sinned and had therefore been expelled from the protective clouds of glory, and then defiled these men by homosexual relations, and finally then mutilated these people by cutting off their reproductive organs. Amalek did this, all this after you have been faint from thirst at Rephidim and were weary from the journey. They did not fear retribution of Hashem in attacking you. By being the first to attack you, Amalek weakened all the other nation's fear from you. Therefore, in order to restore your esteem in the world's eyes, when Hashem, your God, grants you respite from the enemy surrounding you in the land that he's giving you, as an inheritance, you must obliterate the remembrance of Amalek from beneath the heaven every single one you must not forget to do this you are you are obligated to obliterate amalek and spiritually we're told that that means each and every one of us we have to look for the amalek within us amalek is that cooler that person who takes away the excitement they just like they were the first one to cool off the excitement about the jewish people and release the fear that people had so too We must make sure that any Amalek that comes in us and tries to cool our enthusiasm, we get rid of him.